0: Our feelings are extremely real and powerful, overwhelming at times, whether it's the feeling of euphoria or the feeling of discouragement that leads to depression, and every pastor goes that gamut up and down, and those are real feelings, but we've got to remember this. Don't ever forget this. Feelings are real, but they don't always tell us the
1: truth. Pointman Ministries Podcast Network. Strength for today's pastor. Here's your host, Bill Holdridge. Bill is the director of Poyman Ministries, which is a team of former longtime senior pastors who are available to strengthen pastors, to strengthen churches.
2: Welcome to today's episode of Strength for Today's Pastor. This is episode 22, and very excited, Ed, to have you with us. We are with Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Chapel of Aurora, Colorado. And I just so appreciate you, Ed. I appreciate your heart for pastors and the way you have been involved in a lot of pastors' lives, strengthening them. And you've been through so many things that others are watching from a distance or up close. And God is just using your life. But thanks for joining us today and looking forward to what God has for us. It's
0: always a great encouragement to talk to you and to hear insights from what the Lord's doing in your
2: life. Mm -hmm. Thanks. You know, for those that are listening, uh, Ed has a website of his own, edtaylor.org, and on that website is an article that had been published in the Calvary Magazine, and it featured the struggles that and the and the real and and deep pain that Ed and his wife and and children experienced just six years ago when uh, their son Eddie went to heaven. And Ed, you've experienced not just that loss, which was the most, uh, I'm sure devastating of all, but it didn't devastate you, but, uh, you've also experienced other loss. And I don't know if you feel like you want to talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a cluster of real traumatic events that happened beginning about seven years ago, uh, that began with the passing of my dad. And then we had a significant house fire where we lost everything, almost everything on the inside of our house. Like it, we came home to our ho- house on fire, and I called 911 on my own house. Wow. Uh, and then, then I had, then we experienced the loss of, of our son, and then uh, then there was the loss of Pastor Chuck happened that year, and then uh, that was the year that Bob Coy was found out, and and my mom and, and so we saw a cluster of, of real difficult scenarios that all happened one by one, you know, on top of each other and, and really brought profound change into my life. I, I didn't, I didn't know that God was going to do such a pivotal change in my life with, with loss and trauma and difficulty. On top of all that, of course, were the everyday things of church life, difficulties with our staff, difficulties within the life of the church. Everyday difficulties with my flesh and, and it's, it's interesting to look back. Um, it's interesting to watch how God has shown himself faithful at every, uh, step of the way. Um, but I have to say, you know, as I look, as I look at that cluster, the, the loss of our son was, was the most and is the most significant blow that Marie and I and my kids, Josh and Caitlin really experienced. I, that that had the most and still has the most ongoing effect of,
2: uh, of pain in my life, even to this moment. We envision what our future is going to look like with our family and our relationships intact and, you know, imagining out into the future, uh, what, what it's going to be like. And, and in this case for you, and I understand it in, in my own life in a different scenario, uh, there's a sense of loss. Yeah, and you, you're serving. Uh, I, I think that it, it profoundly changed me.
0: Um, it cut new channels of love and emotion in my heart. It, it really made 2 Corinthians 1 come alive in my life. Those that have been comforted by God, the God of all comfort, now are able to comfort others. I, I think pain and sorrow and grief, because the thing about grief is that we don't merely grieve the loss. Of a loved one we don't merely grieve the death of a loved one grief is a major part of our lives we we ex- you know grief if we define grief as an emotional response to loss we grieve a lot uh, we grieve with every transition of our children you know I've, if a mom doesn't understand this but she has these uh, or she may not realize this I should say but she has these profound feelings when her kids are out of diapers, for example, like, like when they move transition from diapers to potty training, uh, a mom may experience, she may start to describe, man, I can't believe it, but I feel so bad. I miss putting diapers. They were anticipating, yeah, it's going to be mm-hmm. so great when my kids are out of diapers. But then when they're not putting diapers on anymore, they, they have this profound sense of sor- sorrow and they don't know why. And really what they're, what's happening is they're experiencing the grief of their, of losing their child. In a certain season and, and, you know, like, for example, fast forward when your kids go off to college and you become empty nesters. Um, while empty nesters is a joyful experience for a couple, it also is tinged often with sorrow because we're like, wow, our kids are in a different season. And, you know, when a, when a divorce takes place, uh, it's a, it's a profound loss. Um, I mean, we our life is filled with loss and, You know, I think the deeper griefs do surround the loss of a loved one, but everyone experiences grief all the time. And I'm, I'm learning that I I didn't know that before the loss of my son, because I started reading on the topic and wondering what's happening to me. And I began to learn so much more about this topic of loss, trauma, sorrow, and then so much more of of, now theologically, I understood second Corinthians chapter one but now practically
2: and and in reality i'm understanding it more and more day by day that is profound i appreciate that so much ed that's such a great insight insights actually plural you know we're not we we headed into this podcast interview uh, more along the lines of talking about men and their calling and different aspects of church leadership and so on, but I'm glad that we started with this because this humanizes life for the pastor. I mean, life is for the pastor as it is for those that aren't serving as pastors and aren't called as pastors, and you're experiencing a dynamic of life that's real for all of us. And I want to thank you for trusting the Lord through this. I'm thinking of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, well, he talked about being struck down, but not destroyed. And you have not, you were struck down. These were great blows, as you said, but you, these have not destroyed you. They've actually in other ways surfaced things in you that you didn't know or hadn't anticipate would surface in you. Thanks for hanging in there with Jesus or thanks for allowing him to, to be your strength and your wife as well. Well, you're welcome for that. I think that,
0: I think from that perspective, I'm, I'm grateful that God could use our lives to bring a, a little bit of hope and encouragement. However, it's not entirely true, um, from that outside observation, as most things are. You know, I think there have been many times on this path where I, I have given up in my heart or I have, like, it's a battle. Uh, it's a battle behind the scenes. And so you guys that are listening right now, that might think, well, one day, um, I might be able to have that stellar, uh, testimony that Pastor Bill's talking about right now. And, and, uh, I, I would just say that you do have that stellar, uh, testimony, even though behind the scenes, even though in your prayer closet, even though when you drive to work and, and even though you can't sleep all night and even though you get angry and you get frustrated and you argue with God or you argue with your wife or, there's so many things behind the scenes that, that grief and loss triggers a whole new battle. And it's a whole new facet to, to spiritual warfare. And we get so beat up in the fight behind the scenes. And, and there's, n- there's no need for you to hide anything. But also I want you to know there's no need for you to, uh, you know, confess every sin that you've committed to the public because the thing about grief for a pastor or for a leader, Bill, And I know you, you've seen this, but I've just personally experienced it is that most people, most people get to experience grief privately. Uh, they get to process it privately. They get to control, um, in many ways what people know, how they know it. Uh, but for the pastor that experiences grief, for the pastor that, you know, maybe experiences some loss with their, maybe a prodigal child, Um, or going through marital difficulties, The, the problem or the challenge, I should say, for us is that while most people get to experience these things privately, the pastor experiences them publicly. And there's a public light that's shown on these things. And it can be perceived as negative or positive, but it's the reality. And the public part of this is very, very hard. Um, it's very difficult because um, you for me, I chose to live continually as I always have, and just be open. I've always been open with our church about the highlights, like for example, my son Eddie, uh, we were very open about his wedding. Uh, we were very open about um, when we became grandparents. Uh, we were very open with the highlights of our lives, and i I believe that the Lord was leading me to be very open with the low lights as well mm-hmm. and and so while I'm grateful that by the grace of God, we're still standing today, um, I, I know that it's, it's been a, a it's been a raging battle in my life mm-hmm. to keep, I was just thinking this morning, Bill, this verse before, before you can't, you called the, this verse that, um, he will, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And, and I, I want, I want to focus my mind. It's, you know, we sing that hymn. It's well with our, with my soul. Mm -hmm. And I can say that to to everyone. It's well with my soul, but my mind, not always so well. And, and, and so I'm grateful to be used and I'm grateful to, to explore the things that I'm experiencing publicly. Uh, and, and I'm grateful for the strength of God, but I know behind the scenes, man, it's, it's a battle and you listening right now, you might be in a private battle right now. And it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to invite people into that part of your life to say, here's where I'm at. And what do you, what do you think about that? What, you know, what do you think the Bible, what do you think God's heart is on
3: the matter? Mm-hmm.
2: In your comments, uh, in the Calvary Magazine article and in other things that you've written, you have given great counsel to those that are seeking to be of help to those that are experiencing significant loss. And that counsel about the myths of the experience and the truths of the experience is invaluable. Uh, you're welcome. I mean, it's, it's
0: the, the articles that I write on my blog uh, come from real life experiences there. And I, I didn't know, I didn't understand myself personally that I could be wanting to help someone, but in mm-hmm. my Desire to help them. I, if I didn't measure my words properly, then I would actually hurt them. I could actually bring pain into their life with the best of, in, uh, the best of motives, mm-hmm. which is really a, a very difficult thing to, to conceive. And, you know, really it's just our words and how we help them and, and to be available to them. And, you know, and that's those, those articles are really birthed out of personal
2: experience. Well, they're so helpful because i think that it's uh, we we subscribe sometimes as christians to the myth that we don't feel the life that others feel when they go through these things we're not supposed to and it's not supposed to be deep and it's not supposed to hurt and the myth that you that a person cannot have joy and grief at the same time you know i think of paul the apostle he had constant sorrow in his heart over the status of his people, Israel. He, he couldn't shake that. It was always there with him. Yet I think if we met Paul, we'd see him as probably one of the joyous Christians in the world, you know? So, uh, that's a myth to say that we don't feel it and it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. It does affect us. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 that these things are the ways in which God demonstrates his light in the midst yeah. of our darkness and these are the ways yeah. in which the excellency the power certainly is proven to be from god and not from us i agree it's so encouraging like and that, i think that the more
0: the more that we're the more that we're learning to yield ourselves to the full work of sanctification the 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 the, the faster god's work in us will be accomplished and he you know the end goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and we're, we're not at the end goal. So we know that along the way, all the good and all the bad, and all the hard and all the easy, and everything um, really is being worked together for the good, and it's being shaped together for the good, and it, it's being and the good. The good is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful. Paul talked about of time in his life where he had arrived he said i would rather glory in my tribulation and mm-hmm. and i'm not there yet uh, i wish i could say that you know there I, i've i've arrived at the place where i can now even i think you know I, i'm it's even saying the words are hard for me right now to say i thank god mm-hmm. for the the trials and tribulations that, that occurred with the loss of our son but i'm i can't say that fully um, and i know that some things I have become, I have uh, added this level of appreciation to. But but many things I'm still asking the Lord, like what what is it that you want me to learn? Mm-hmm. What is it that you want me to see? And it's really caused me to to rush in a lot more uh, into the throne room of grace uh, than I have before. And it's birthed new things in our ministry, birthed new things in my life, birthed new things in my marriage. And and praise God for His faithfulness.
2: Amen to that. Well, anyway, the, the things that you've written are so helpful. And I just uh, would encourage guys to get a hold of that material, read it, listen to it on podcasts and, and whatever, because we, we need to understand how to process stuff we're going through. Cause like you said, Ed, everybody experiences loss and it's part of life. It's part of the cycle of life. I agree. Yeah. Well, let's move into, uh, what we thought we were going to be talking about today, but we still will. Uh, let's talk, let's talk about calling. You, you want to affirm men in their calling. We're talking to senior pastors now. So you want to encourage and, and affirm senior pastors in their calling. So what do you mean when you're thinking of that, that concept of affirming men in their calling? What, what is on your heart, Ed? Well, as God has allowed me to be involved in the lives of pastors over the years, including uh, men, men on our
0: own team here and church planters and guys that have been around for a while. I've, I've seen a trend, and it, and it, it could be uh, including in my own life. I've seen a trend that guys begin to doubt that they're called to do what they're doing because of the outcome that they're presently experiencing. So that could be uh, the challenges of a senior pastor, you know, I'm, I'm struggling putting Bible studies together. Maybe I'm not called. Uh, the church isn't growing. Maybe I'm not called. Uh, the tithes are down. Maybe I'm not called. Uh, I get a complaint every week about this part of my life or that part of my life. Maybe I'm not called. And I've found that the, the, the conversation always has to begin with affirming the, the voice of the Lord that moved you that, that stirred you in the first place. Yeah, I think of something our pastor taught us, Pastor Chuck. He, he, he wrote, if there's one characteristic that's absolutely essential for effective ministry, it's that we must first have a sense of calling. And then he defines that as the conviction in our hearts that God has chosen us and called us to serve Him. And, you know, the Bible tells us that we're to make our calling and election sure. And And for the men that are struggling right now, for the men that are challenged right now, for the men that are ready to give up, go back to your calling and remember the voice of the Lord. You know, it's almost like God would have us to go back to Bethel. Um, I've been here in Aurora. This is our 20th year of ministry in Aurora. And because of my personality and because of who I am, uh, I can honestly say that I doubted my calling here. Probably every year I've been here Mm -hmm. Um, for for some circumstance. um, Sometimes multiple times a year, where I've had this discussion with Marie to say, you know, maybe we should move back to California. Uh, Maybe God's done with me here. Maybe my season is up. Maybe I'm uh, not as effective. Maybe I I could. You can. You can use the word maybe, and then man, the flesh will include. You put a blank maybe, and then a blank after that. The flesh is always able willing and ready to fill that blank with some deficit in our lives Um, but but we've got it backwards right because the calling of god puts maybe after the blank um it puts it it puts maybe after the blank so that when we were first called we started to assess ourselves i think back to 1999 i was ill-equipped to leave southern california with my young family go to an unknown place, which happened to be here in the Denver metro area of Colorado and open my house and invite people to a Bible study. I was ill-equipped isn't even the right phrase. I, there's probably a better phrase. Like it would, <laughs> it, but ill-equipped is the one that comes to mind. And, and so that in my doubts and my anxieties and my fears, I would say, well, you know, I, I, I can't teach the Bible. And then maybe God will still use me or I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do if, if people do show up, but maybe the Lord will be in it. You know, perhaps God will be in it. And and then over the years, for some reason, we flip it around and we no longer serve from calling. We serve from some other position. Have you
2: seen that to be true? Oh, definitely. And uh like one pastor we both know often says, if you're struggling with your calling, then you've got two problems. You're struggling with the difficulty of the ministry itself, and then you're struggling Mm -hmm. with whether or not you should be doing it. And that's double jeopardy. Yeah, it happens a lot. and, And and we find that a lot of times we have to go back to the simplicity of it, like you're suggesting here. Go back to, you know, like Paul told Timothy, go back to the prophecies that pointed to you or the scriptures that pointed to you or the circumstances that the Lord produced in your life to convince you that you were indeed called as a pastor teacher. Go back to that, write it down, run according to the vision God gave you, and don't ever deviate from that. The way that that calling is manifest may change in a man over time, but the fact of the calling will never change. Yeah. And we're not, you know, and we're not definitely not talking about, if you're listening
0: in, like, we're not talking about a time of transition or that the Lord might be having you do something different. Uh, or serve in a different capacity or pivot you know in the middle of ministry life and say well i think god wants me on the mission field we're i'm really speaking to the to the what double jeopardy will bring to you like bill you mentioned that it'll bring to you this sense of absolute lostness you'll you'll what you'll you'll sit there thinking what am i doing and why am i doing it and what have i done to my family and 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 what why am i here and we forget the calling you know when a young guy goes out to plan a church my philosophy for preparing them is look you need two things you need to be sure of your calling uh, especially to a calling to a you don't just bring out a map and throw a dart at a at a city but but like really pray for a burden for that city a love for those people even if you haven't met them even if you don't know anything about the city which is what God gave to us here. I didn't know much about Denver. Um, I knew it snowed here, and I knew I wasn't going to like that. But that I didn't know much about the people. I didn't know much about the culture. It's very different than Southern California. Um, but but I had already fallen in love with the seasons and the rain and the thunderstorms and and this independent Colorado uh, folks in Colorado have a had more of an independent cowboy spirit about them uh, and. And they're very outdoorsy and, and all these characteristics that are so wonderful and, and so beautiful and, and so uh, helpful in the ministry that God has called us to. But it, when you start to when those start, things start to take a negative effect, um, I have to say that I, I look back. I was just thinking of this a couple weeks ago. I was driving into the office and I was, I was just thinking, you know what, Lord? You made it abundantly clear in 1999 that you wanted us here. And you, and I started rehearsing in my mind how in the door for my job, how he helped us with, um, settling down here, how he like, like on and on the things that were truly miraculous in, in their occurrences and in the timing of it all and saying, Lord, I know what it's like for you to call me. I know what it's like for you to lead me. And even though right now my head is foggy, um, I, I don't see clearly. Um you know when we when we drive in fog uh the the thing to do in f- when you're driving in fog or it we don't get much fog here in Colorado, but we do get snow uh so the thing to do when it's snowing is slow down, put both hands on the wheel, be very careful, and continue to move forward and i and i think when when pastors are in a fog when it's disorient- you know if, when you drive in snow, it can be actually very disorienting mm-hmm. uh There's a 3D effect to it, and it's if you're not careful and you're not looking at the road and you start being mesmerized by the snow, it can be very disorienting. And I find that in the times of fogginess, in the times of disorienting fear, um, failure, you've been attacked by an email or a family has left or a group of people have left to another church, whatever it might be that that gets us down, that we aren't to make drastic decisions, but slow down. And remember our calling, like, God, you called me here. I'm here to serve you. I want to be found faithful. And then that actually turns into, thank you for calling me here. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for the fruit that we've experienced. Thank you for what what you—there's a song that uh, Elevation Worship uh, is—I forget the title of it, but it just came to mind as I'm talking. It's a, you, You've done it before, and you can do it again.
3: Mm-hmm. I
0: love that phrase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can do it again. And it's really not even the output of ministry that I'm talking about. Like you can do it again. You can give me joy in ministry. You can you can give me um, you can return the joy of my salvation. You, you can give me strength to endure, and you can continue to use me even though it's very challenging and very difficult. And so, men, remember your calling because God is going to continue to build upon that voice and that voice comes every week every day when you wake up this is what god's called you to do this is what god's called you to do and the calling is a beautiful one and it's a wonderful one and and to think there are many men right now waiting waking up as well this morning saying lord i want to hear your calling and haven't gotten it yet and here you are and here i am no matter what difficulty you know i just got a real bad email last week that really threw me for a loop i'm actually still processing it Hmm. Um, those kind of things hit me even deeper now Um, through the process of grief and, and part of how I've been processing that email, um, is, but Lord, you called me here. And, and even this email is a part of your calling.
2: You mentioned that every year, at least in the beginning, you questioned whether you should be in Aurora. I remember being in Monterey as long as I was 27 years pastoring there. I think probably five times seriously, I quit. And thought, I'm, I'm not the guy here anymore. And then what would happen, and this is intended as a word of encouragement to, to our listeners today, Ed. Um, what would happen inevitably is that the Lord would use that, which at, for me at that time was really brokenness. I was being broken in that sense of uh, disillusionment or discouragement. And in that time of brokenness, every single time the Lord did the same kind of thing. He would either give me the joy that you're talking about again, and it would be renewed. Or he would give me increased vision that I thought I didn't have. Or he would give me renewed capability in areas of real weakness that I didn't experience previously. Something would happen, and that would launch me into the next season. But behind it all and underneath all of it, undergirding every moment, has to be our calling because if we if we lose that, then basically we, we're like uh, sailing at sea without a compass. And I I know that one of the reasons, as we were talking before, why this is on my heart is that
0: it will profoundly help a guy to remember what God created him to do. Like this, this is the purpose for which God put you on the earth, and it doesn't. It or I should say, it isn't measured. If you have a large church or a small church, mm-hmm. it isn't measured if people like you, don't like you. It isn't measured by your salary or the tithes and offerings. However, we are so prone to live in the temporary that when, it, when the attendance is low, we're discouraged and in discouragement, we're like, I don't think I can do this anymore. It's, mm-hmm. Especially if that, you know, the guy comes to town. It's, it's like, again, being here 20 years, I've seen churches come and and immediately and I'm not no joke I'm not exaggerating in any way there's a church in town in my own city there's actually two churches that within two years they were already at a thousand people hmm. and and I saw what they were doing they were doing great activities in the parks they were ministering and, and reaching out to people that wasn't were we're not talking about like artificial growth that just was God's will it was God's will for them mm-hmm. and and i i I'm so happy for them because my mindset is not to grow a church my mindset is to make disciples right and if god's going to bring I, i'm so grateful that wh- whoever those people whoever that brothers reaching whoever that ministry teams reaching i i obviously haven't reached them mm-hmm. and so I, i'm in, encouraged that God's doing work in my city, and that He's saving my next door neighbors, or that through another ministry. However, you know as well as I do, in our flesh and our weakness of discouragement, the weakness of financial pressures. You know, I think of again Pastor Chuck's minister so much to my heart because he would share about how the financial pressures of ministry in the early years were so difficult and a test on his calling, and so he would go get a job and he would work for his family and. Uh, to provide for the needs of his family. But the, 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 reality of all these pressures are, you know, trials don't destroy, they, they don't destroy us. They destroy our flesh. Mm. And as noble as we think our motives are, God always reveals through difficulties just how impure our motives can be. And one of them is just doubting, you know, maybe I'm not a, maybe I'm not a good pastor. Well, we're not, let, let's just set the record straight for everyone listening. None of us are good pastors. There's only one good shepherd and his mm-hmm. name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he's helping us become better. He's helping us to become more faithful, more like him. But n- none of us can say, I'm a good pastor. We can say that we're submitted pastors. We can say that we're, um, pastors under shepherds. Uh, and, and again, I'm, i I know that we could say that I think I pastored well there. I'm not, I'm not saying we can't uh, use those types of, uh, descriptors for us, but the reality is, is that we're all weak. We all fail. And if we fail much, then there's going to be much temptation to give up. And I, I recently read, this is so cool. This is a keeper from an unknown pastor, um, that,
3: that said this, but he says, if you, if you give up in winter, you won't be able to
2: experience spring. Well
3: said. Like, wow. That,
0: that says so much about, uh, about the reality of a endurance matter of fact, um, me and um, and your son, Nate, are going to do a men's retreat here later this year, and the topic we're going to be uh, exploring is
3: endurance. Good. And, and so needed, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, really, for sure. Because the, the prize and the goal, like you said, is to disciple. I was reading this morning in Ephesians 4. I love that passage. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, yeah. pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, of the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness that belongs to Christ. That's what we're aiming at. God has put us there so that we can help people become that. That's an incredible calling. There's no calling that's more important than that in the world.
0: There really isn't, and I think the... the Ability for God to use us. What is it? I forget what comedian said this or who said this. You know, we're so filled with quotes. But ninety-nine percent of success is showing up yeah. and being available. And isn't is it, Isn't it? It's not so obvious in the fog, and that's the problem. Um I speak from experience, and I'm not. I haven't been one of those guys, Bill, that have my resignation letter written and I put it in my drawer. It, 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 the the reality of giving up was deeper than than just a difficult Sunday. You know, when I look back, you had five definite. I never really paid attention to them, but I'm, I'm sure that I had at least five or probably one a year where I was so wrapped up in the wrong measurements. Mm. I was so wrapped up in the wrong mindset that the circumstances of the month or the day, you know, really brought me to a crossroads. And we can turn all of these around for the good, because I'm now in our 20th year. We're going to celebrate 20 years, and God has been faithful to us here. And as I look back on each of those episodes, it was actually a crossroads. Uh, It was a crossroads where the choice was not to give up. So I can look back and say, well, you know,
2: every year that's been challenging, but the Lord got me through it, Mm -hmm. and here we are.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: he's faithful. Looking back, he's so... Wonderfully faithful, especially in the rear-view Mirror. And that, that uh helps us today. You know, I had an assistant pastor that he and his wife both were just effusive in their positivism. They weren't glass half full people, they were glass seven eighths full people. Uh-huh. And I was uh at best a glass half empty person, you know, a lot of times, especially when something would happen like you were talking describing. So, you know, sometimes after church, we would have elders' meetings, and I'd come into that meeting wanting to find out what everything was that went wrong that morning. And yeah. uh they were just so thrilled at what God did, and they're looking at this, and they're looking at that. And in my mind, for a while, I was thinking, what planet do you live on? It doesn't seem like the real planet that I'm living on. You know, but I learned from their optimism over time what you want to talk about and what you want to share with pastors, I learned to to really focus on the good. And I, uh, you know, had a mantra in ministry, and especially in the later years, where I would tell the fellows in the church, listen, we want to be known as a church for what we're for, not primarily for what we're against. And the same is true in our lives. I think we have to be Internally wired to, to focus on the things that the Lord is doing, the good stuff. And if we don't meditate on that, like it says in Philippians 4, these are the things to think about. And there's nothing in there about thinking about all the, <laughs> all the, all the junk, you know, it's the thinking about whatever's lovely, whatever's a pure, whatever's a good report. If there's anything virtuous, these kinds of things, think on these things. The God of peace will be with you. So anyway, I wanted to open that up to you, you know, cause I know you want to share, share with pastors about this.
0: Well, pastors, we have a tendency to see the negative, uh, and only for the purposes, I think, of wanting to improve, wanting to be the best, wanting to grow. But it has, it does take a toll on a person when that's all they see. And I, I learned that along the way. I didn't, I mean, I'm sure Marie knew that about me, but I, I needed to learn it, it was a self, Awareness of that part of my life over the years where one of the, one of the things that helps me a lot in ministry is to seek out those very people you just described and to be surrounded by them. Hmm. Because I think in the early years, I was surrounded by people that kind of shared in the same mindset. We want to improve. You know, we weren't, we weren't sitting around the table all bummed down and upset. We were just talking about improving all the time. And what can we do? Is do you see anything wrong? And And, and of course you're going to find what you're looking for because there's always, we're always going to have weaknesses. Uh, and, and I learned that one of the things that I need in order to help balance me is to be around positive, encouraging people. And, and that way that strengthens me to be more positive, encouraging that also then now that spills out. I become more positive, encouraging in my leadership. I become more positive and encouraging in my, dialogue in my teaching uh, in my pastoral care uh, and I find that the more whatever I'm feeding is what's going to grow and and I think that for us as pastors we can be caught up in want always wanting to grow and improvement and always want to be better and and always comparing ourselves I mean isn't that a whole different topic where mm. what, with the advent of social media today um, it, it's very easy to to, to have the greatest uh, experience of worshiping God with our local fellowship, and then by the time lunch is over, be so discouraged because you see pictures that make another church appear to be so much better than yours. Uh, and it used to be at pastor's conferences that we would, at pastor's conferences, we would always inevitably run into that person that just seemed to be in the midst of great, over, I remember, <laughs> I remember this occurrence, And it absolutely has no bearing on the brother. He had no intention of doing this, but he had come to one of the pastor's conferences and was walking around with the blueprints of his new building (laughs) and was so excited. And he was just, he was doing what I was doing. I remember, I don't know if you remember Bill, but years ago I called and you and I talked about um, your property and how you fit, what you fit on the acreage. and, Mm -hmm. And that's all he was doing. He was, that's all he was doing. Just saying, Hey, do you have any feedback? And this is what we're thinking. And, and I must have ran into him three or four times just in those few days. And all I could think was, instead of being happy for him, instead of joyful with him, although I, I think I was to some degree, all I could think was, man, Lord, we're in this old, dirty cafeteria of a school. We're never going to get out of it. That guy just uh, complained that his kid ate some food that was left by the kids during the week, and, and his back was on and on and on, and it was so discouraging. But now that kind of discouragement can be tripped with a simple opening of Instagram.
3: Mm. And mm.
0: we when we come back to the basics and we remember, you know what? I am what I am by the will of God. Mm-hmm. I am a bond servant of Christ. And you know, Pastor, if your church is thirty people right now, like that is a significant dent in the kingdom of God. Those thirty people look to you for their lives. Exactly. And how careful we how careful we need to be not to look to the next 30, but to be faithful with the 30 in front of us. Believe me, um, churches that are larger have more, more responsibility and more challenges. They're not challenged less. And we all have the same challenges. We all have the same issues. The real differences are what the, what the proportion is like. So you might have one significant challenge. We have, you know, 30 significant jobs, whatever it might be. But the reality is, is that we're all doing the same work. We're all serving the same ch- shepherd and your calling is important. And, th- and the size of your church is not as important as you think it is. And I believe me, you'll get to that conclusion. You might be listening. Oh, Ed, you don't know what you're talking about. Well,
3: mm-hmm.
0: having grown through different different sizes of our fellowship and different times and seasons. I know there was a season where I was very caught up in the size of our church, and I have to say I'm not so caught up anymore. I just want to be faithful.
2: You aren't saying this implicitly or specifically, Ed, but what I'm hearing in my head is that if we're going to look for the good and and remain refreshed in our spirit, we better be intentional about what we think about really intentional. We we need to think about what we're thinking about, you know, as, as weird as that might sound, and especially in terms of the sources of input that we allow into our lives. Yes. And and you're talking yeah. about that. You're talking about finding uh people that are encouraging people I'm sure that are safe. Surround ourselves with those people. These aren't necessarily yes men. They those kinds of people are the best people to speak truth into our lives, but we're talking about people that really uh, see the world through jesus colored glasses and we would think as pastors
0: that that would be us all the time but it's not um, we I, I i can just speak for myself so that everyone can join on my journey where they sit but i'm not always seeing things with jesus glasses uh sometimes i've got a sometimes i've got a P&L report in front of me uh sometimes i've got an empty past um, I, I have an empty ministry position in front of me and if I'm not careful, that will become the glass that I see everything through. Or I've got personal discouragement. I just had a fight with my wife and we couldn't resolve it. And now what do I do? And I don't want to, I don't want to be disconnected from my wife. I don't even know how I upset her or I don't know what I did. And, and so now I'm caught up in a, in a disagreement or my, my kid said something. Or like I said, I just got a really difficult email to process where, man, the things, the things in it were, Some of it was true, but a lot of it was just somebody's hurt and pain. And then I'm the outburst. I'm, and, and like, Oh Lord, I, I don't know if I can even see right now because my feelings are so real. And, and we have to remember this. I've tried to teach our church this because I've learned it myself. And, and that is our feelings are extremely real and powerful. They are, can be overwhelming at times, whether it's the, feeling of euphoria or the feeling of discouragement that leads to depression. And every pastor goes that gamut up and down, and those are real feelings, but we've got to remember this. Don't ever forget this. Feelings are real, but they don't always tell us the truth.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And
0: and so the the reality of how we respond to our feelings is very important because this is an attribute, I think, an application of what Paul told us, is, is that we walk by faith and not by sight and so that Today, I feel really bad. I feel really down. I feel like throwing in the towel. I feel like giving up. Okay? Um, if you called me to talk to me, I would talk you through those feelings. I would validate those feelings. The worst thing that I could do is try to talk you out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the worst thing to do with someone that is going through the gamut of, of emotions. But once we validate them, then we then need to turn to a biblical approach to them. And sometimes it's just Enduring through the season, staying faithful something I learned from Elizabeth Elliott. She gave me the phrase, do the next thing. And so in your grief and your discouragement, when you're ready to throw in the towel, just do the next thing. Read the next book. Make the next phone call. Answer the next email. You'll be surprised how fast time flies as you just choose to intentionally be faithful. And then I love what you said, uh, to intentionally have the right voices in our lives. I I think it was Gordon McDonald that wrote Ordering Our Private Life. Yes. And one of the things that he shared was that we need to be careful how we apportion our time with different people. And one of the people, one of the, the, one of the categories of people that he described was people with resources.
3: Mm -hmm. And
0: what he meant by that was people that are going to fill the gap in your life for that season. So whether it's a good author, whether like it's a podcast, podcast would be, this type of podcast would be one of those sources. I know I'm listening to them on the way into the office and I'm just for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I'm being filled with encouragement. You guys are people with resources to me that I can just enjoy mm-hmm. being fed myself mm-hmm. so that I know I'm going to face problems at the office. I know I'm going to face problems in my email box, but I need to choose to, um, I need to choose to have people in my life. And the last thing I need, I, and you mentioned that phrase. I don't need a yes man in my life when I'm going through it. I I don't need a yes man in my life. Period. Um, I I want people to speak truth into my life and not just always agree with me. Um, if I'm wrong, don't agree with me. Uh, I I want to be told the way out. I don't want someone. I don't want someone to make me comfortable in my in my difficulty. I want I
2: want a way out. A friend of mine calls that uh, emotional overload he calls it being flooded and mm-hmm. it's like you know your your engine is flooded and no matter what you do you're not going to be able to start that right. car until it gets unflooded you know and you mentioned also speaking to somebody you speak to pastors somebody calls you uh, you know it's better of course ideally that we're able to resolve and work out all of these uh, issues in our own hearts where we're able to discern what we feel isn't true and Evaluate it by what is true, that kind of thing. But sometimes we just need another ear to listen to us. So, you know, that's what you do for guys. I know Ed, that's what we as Poyman Ministries pastors do. So pick up the phone and call somebody that's safe and that is going to listen and is going to validate what you're feeling and help you uh, come around to what's true about what you're feeling and what isn't true about what you're feeling. And you know, the Lord forgive us for our hyper, and maybe not even hyper, but I just think our hyper judgmentalism of,
0: of guys that, that are struggling. Like we, we are, we are in this together. You know, we are a band of brothers. We are men in the battle together and, and we, we need to be able to have a safe environment to process. You use the word process and it's so important. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that we've, that we've allowed our culture to shape our thinking is in the sense of trials. And and that's only because most of our lives, we experience trials with a definite beginning, a kind of short middle, and a definite end. Mm -hmm. And then we look back and go, oh, yes, look at what God has done. But, you know, this is probably a conversation for another time, but the reality of consider this, and I know this might even be hard to hear, but consider that you will serve with this pain the rest of your ministry. Mm-hmm. That that has to be a consideration. This this may be to something God has allowed in your life that won't go away either so quickly or at all. And you say, "Come on, Ed, that that's not very encouraging." No, it actually is encouraging, and it and it is biblical because that's exactly the answer that Paul received yes. for his thorn in his side. That's exact. I mean, I'm sure he didn't like it. I'm sure he didn't want it but he accepted it. And that's even part of the grieving process. We accept the reality of the current condition of our lives. And without acceptance, there's going to be no new normal. There will be no new normal, but there's always a new normal waiting for us and always a new, like like Pastor Jeff would always teach us, uh, Jeff Johnson, you know, we go from glory to glory and strength to strength. And that doesn't mean we don't go from glory to glory with pain, because, or without pain, because we do, or we, we interpret that, well, it's just going to be greater and greater and wonderful and wonderful. It is, and it can be, we go from strength to strength in pain, mm-hmm. glory to glory in pain. That's a part of our fallen human condition. So, Pastor, you're not a failure because you feel like a failure. You're not a failure because you're like, man, I can't take this anymore. You're not a failure because you're, you're just, man, I must be a bad pastor because I'm always hurting. No, that's part of the package. And, and I'm just sorry that's part of your package. It's, it's super hard, but God is able to overcome even the most difficult, super hard situations with
2: his grace and his mercy and his presence. You know, I'm trying to think of a, a summary for this conversation and I would have to call it a conversation with Ed Taylor. But even more than that, I think it's been real. It's been very real, as I would expect, having a conversation with you, my friend. Thanks for joining <laughs> us here on uh, uh, on this podcast. And I think this is going to be really encouraging for guys. So men, you who are listening, or ladies, you who are listening, be strengthened with might yes. by yes. God's Holy Spirit in your inner being, mm-hmm. which is where we need it. Yeah. We need that strength in our inner being. And God is for you. Thanks again, Ed, for joining us. This is going to conclude today's edition of Strength for Today's Pastor, episode 22. And again, feel free to reach out to Poyman Ministries. We would love to be part of your hearts and lives in whatever way we can to help strengthen you. And take advantage of those resources that Pastor Ed referred, well, that I referred to about Pastor Ed. EdTaylor.org and the Calvary Magazine article and all of the other blog posts and teaching resources that are available. Just very, very helpful. And thanks for the reality, Ed. Been great. Thanks, Bill. Okay.
1: God bless you. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries, you can find us at Poyman Ministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N Ministries.com If something in today's program prompts a question or desire to connect with us or if you have a comment or a topic idea for a future episode just shoot us an email at StrongerPastors at gmail.com That's StrongerPastors at gmail.com Until we meet again, may you continue to be a strengthened pastor.